Hello, my friends, and welcome to the 100th episode of Roman Through Romans. And we are moving on from Chapter 8. Can you believe it? I think we were in Chapter 8 for like 20 episodes. Anyway, um, hopefully you were blessed by Chapter 8, because I think that's really the whole point of Chapter 8 is... Uh, that it is a great blessing to you. He is declaring these great truths about God and God's love for you, God's plan for you, God's concern for you, and what God has done for you. And that's all good stuff. And there's, some, of course, some challenging things that, that are there as well, some, some things that people really, um, again, people can really get off on tangents on some of it um, and, and overlook what the, what the point is. And uh, you know, we start talking about the elect, you know, and, and God choosing and and uh, predestination. A lot of times what happens is people get so shook up on on that, those aspects of of what God has done uh, and, and how that all works. Um, God's sovereignty versus man's free choice. And, and this is not a new debate. And, you know, if you're familiar at all with uh, with the discussion, it's been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years and has divided people and um and uh, you know, people tend to take sides, uh, and usually, in my experience, it, it's kind of one of those things where people try to fit it into what they can understand. And uh, and one of the things that I always try to tell people is, again, don't let what you don't understand derail what you do understand. And it's an easy thing to do, and I think it happens to all of us, where we have that, that some people would call it a crisis of faith. Um, that that point where you're like, I just don't get this. I it's in in it can become the the center point of your thinking where you can't you know you're all that's all you think about. You're not dwelling on all the things you do grasp. You just get kind of hung up on that thing you don't, and uh, and it can become uh, destructive to us. And so we need to be reminded constantly of what we do get. So I may not understand all the aspects of it, but I do understand the basic idea of what Paul is saying. And, and that idea of that, this, that God has a plan for you, that God, God has desires for you, that God desires to, um, do a work in you and that he has chosen you. And that, that's a great encouragement in itself. When you say, well, God has chosen me because then it's my, you know, it's, it's not on me. If I fail, I mess up. It's not like, Oh, I blew it. Maybe I, maybe I don't believe like I thought I did. Instead, it's going to be like, you know, Hey, God chose me. I'm, I'm, you know, what can separate me from his love? This is the, the chapter ended with, but chapter nine, 10 and 11 are, uh, are, are interesting because it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things that the, We've been going, as I've been mentioning before, Paul is very systematic in his in his uh, declaration of the gospel. And we've gone through that uh, numerous times as we've gone through the book of Romans. And so uh, what's kind of interesting is this, and I, and I think the best I can tell uh, is that what's happening in chapters 9, 10, and 11 is that Paul is going to be talking about Israel. And he's going to talk about like chapter nine. And again, this is very kind of a basic overview. Chapter nine is talking about Israel's past. Chapter 10 is more along the lines of Israel's present. And then chapter 11 is about Israel's future. And, and these are important things to really know. And he spends three chapters on them, which, which might seem a little odd because, um, he, the way he starts off, it seems to be, and again, this is just my take on it, is that it seems to be that, you know, remember he was talking about how God has, you know, that you are chosen, you are predestined, you are um, the elect, 
you know, the, you know, as he talks about believers, well, those are terms that, that if you were familiar with, with the Jewish faith, you would say, well, that's Israel. Israel's, those were his chosen people, right? The, the chosen people. And, and so when God, when, when God has chosen you or you are the elector talks about, you know, all, all the things that Paul's talked about in chapter eight, and it sounds very positive and very encouraging. Well, again, the mindset might be for those people that are, that are very familiar with the Jewish faith uh, or Jewish themselves might be like, wait a minute. Well, if all these things are true of the elective in Christ, well, what, what about the Jews? You know, if, if nothing can separate us from the love of God, wait, wait, what about the Jews? They were God's chosen people and are now they're not. I mean, how, how, wait, what? So I, I think that's kind of the, the jumping off point for chapter nine is, is again, like we've said a number of times, Paul anticipates the argument or the, the, the pushback on the point that he's made. And so, uh, something to keep in mind as we get into this, because, uh, there's some really valuable things, obviously, because it's the Bible in nine, 10 and 11, uh, talking about Israel, because there's been all kinds of problems throughout history because of those people ignoring these chapters, uh, maybe in particular, maybe chapter 11. But um, one of those things in particular is what we call, uh, or what has been called, replacement theology. And replacement theology is the idea that the church has replaced Israel. And so the church would be spiritual Israel, and actual Israel would then be uh, no longer a thing, that they rejected Christ, so God has rejected them. And in that, um, the promises that were for Israel are passed over to the church. And there are some things that as you read uh, chapter nine, I think in particular, you'll see some things where you go like, well, that, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. But the problem is that it requires you, I think, to ignore chapter 11, where God talks about future plans for Israel. Now, again, one of the things to keep in mind is that when a lot of that idea of replacement theology was coming about, the nation of Israel did, didn't exist anymore. And so when you're talking about these are these promises for Israel, well, you, you end up with this problem uh, because if there is no Israel, how can God's promises to Israel be true? How can he talk about Israel's future if there is no Israel? And so there were those people that said, well, we have to figure out how to interpret this. And since God can't be wrong, what does this mean? Maybe, well, maybe Israel then is he's talking about the spiritual Israel. And again, as we get into chapter nine, this is going to make uh, maybe a little bit more sense, but there were those um, that understood that, well, Israel is going to have to be a nation again, because God says things about Israel. Uh, the problem again with, with this whole idea is, and, and this is a great test to put the false teaching in general, false teaching is going to have bad fruit. And some of the bad fruit that's come out of, replacement theology is gross anti-Semitism, where people, because God in their theology has rejected Israel, therefore they can reject Israel. You know, when you think about things and, and you know, this isn't the reason for the Holocaust, but it, it does definitely make sense um, how a, how a people in the land of Luther, you know, where Lutheranism uh, began would embrace 
Nazism in, in the, the killing of Jews. Well, there's a lot to that, but, but it was also uh, replacement theology, saying that these people are rejected of God, so God's rejected them. And, and there's all kinds of abuses of the Jewish people done by the church throughout history, and a lot of it can be traced back to this same idea of replacement theology. And so I just wanted you to be aware of that uh, as we go through. And since I, I don't want to go, I was going to get into chapter nine today, but instead I just want to, on that same note about, about recognizing false teaching, um, because most Christians are not experts in the Bible because they don't have 30 hours a week to spend studying the scripture, like Bible scholars might, or like their pastor might. And so they're often reliant on a pastor or a preacher, or a Bible teacher to, to tell them what the Bible says. Uh, especially during in areas where people are are generally illiterate or they have very little access to the scripture but here's the problem that often happens is that we rely on somebody to tell us what the bible says and so there's some things you can do to help you um, keep an eye on false teaching if you're not super familiar with the bible um, one of them is like I was talking about with replacement theology is consider the fruit start to think down the line down the line if I, if this teaching is carried out what's the what is the the fruit of it you know how how is how is this going to play out in people's lives um and we've talked before about in chapter eight about like that the health and wealth is that god wants you to be healthy and wealthy well if you carry that down the line if you are not healthy and wealthy well what does that say well it's not that god has failed because god doesn't fail um and the teacher is teaching from the bible so it must be true so the problem has to be you and when when you are the you know when when it all comes down to well i'm not health healthy and i'm not wealthy because i don't have enough faith uh, that's a destructive thing and that tears people down and uh, and again as i mentioned before you, you know when you start searching the scriptures you find it's just not it's just not what the bible teaches but some some little tricks um to keep in mind um one of the the most simple of all is is simply this to spot false teaching is if it elevates man and demotes God. If it makes man uh, big, it makes God small. If it takes away from the finished work of the cross. In other words, um, if you're talking about how someone is saved and it requires, it's something to do with, or something that I have to do with this. Um, just for the last few seconds here, an example of this would be like um, what they call generational curses. This idea that that we pass on um, like uh, a sinful curse that goes from, from generation to generation to generation. Well, obviously we know from earlier in, in the book of Romans that the sin of Adam is passed down. Um, we know that, but this, this idea that uh, like I'm an alcoholic because my father was an alcoholic because my great grandfather was an alcoholic and it's been a curse upon our family. And, and I remember being on a, on a bus one time, after a ministry event with my youth group and a, and a lady was talking about how she had this curse of alcoholism and drug abuse in her family for, for years. And, and finally through, through prayer, prayer and fasting, she had broken the curse. And I asked my youth group kids what they thought about. It. I remember some of them were kind of like, well, this didn't seem quite right. And really what it came down to was what she was talking about was that she did it. You know, it wasn't, Hey, I don't have to be that you know, Romans chapter six, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm free from that Romans chapter eight. You know, I don't have to be 
I don't have to, to be ruled by my flesh. I don't have to do those things. Instead, it became this, well, I've done enough spiritual things to defeat the problem. And that takes away from Jesus' finished work of the cross because it's saying his cro the cross wasn't enough. I had to do more. So anyway, keep an eye on that stuff. I went a little long today. Sorry about that. Next time, we'll actually talk about Romans chapter 9. Talk to you soon.